From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. This week, we got a lot of wacky shit for y'all. <laughs> we are talking about the end of an anime saga, some bullshit, a hmm. wild 90s set supernatural noir, hard rockin' witch demons, and hungry sewer alligators. <laughs> <laughs> just like hitting the gamut it's of everything. just everything you could ever imagine. Okay, so let's, I guess let's start with the, uh, well, actually, no, let's start with this. Congrats on your new job, Mary Beth. Oh, yeah, thanks. Thank you so much. I'm yeah. so excited for you, and I'm, I've been, like, so excited for the internet to see, and I'm so glad that it's out there. So, for those that don't know, what are you doing? So, I am... I am Dread Central's new content manager, so basically I am coming in to head up new initiatives and make Dread Central even better and introduce new voices and really just expand the coverage that we do there and make it all the more inclusive and just help build a better community around all the amazing content that we want to make. So 
I'm super excited to be there. It's a big job and I'm I'm nervous, but I'm really I'm really excited to do it. And you know, some of you have already sent me some amazing amazing pitches and I'm excited to work with some of you on projects and it's really it's really really cool. I never ever ever in a million years thought I'd be able to work in horror as my full-time job. So, it's like kind of it's kind of wild to me that it's actually happening and I'm super excited. So fucking rad and I am super excited and proud of you. I'm so proud. This is awesome. It's like not – it's hitting me, but not at the same time. It's a very weird feeling. Well, we've had a busy week. <laughs> it's been a very busy week. Yeah. It's definitely hitting the ground running and just trying to like figure out everything. And it's it's been really busy, but it's been really good. And I'm really excited to see what we can – what we're going to create. Um, I, got a lot of, I got a lot of ideas up up in this old Nogarino. So. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yes. Okay. So on the movie side of things, well, I guess not even movies at this point. What is this end of an anime saga? Oh my god! Okay, so Evangelion. Oh, the okay, (laughs) the final, final, final Evangelion thing came out last week. So this is Evangelion three point zero plus one (laughs) point zero one, thrice upon a time. (laughs) Is that the real title? Oh. So this is the third iteration of Hideki Anno's uh, Evangelion franchise. So it was, uh, it's, this has been going on since 1995. So, like, this is about yep. a, a little younger than I am, but like about the same age. Um, so there was the show. The ending was fucking bizarre because of budget issues. Anno was like, uh, I, I need to fix the ending. It was bad. He had the Eva, end of Evangelion movies that came out. Uh, and then he decided, oh, we're going to just like retcon, we're just going to like retcon all of this stuff and do a new series called Rebuild of Evangelion. And so these are like, there's, there's four of them. And it's basically taking the show and then extending what happens after the end of the show and like looking into like what that, oh. that future looks like. So the fourth movie is the end. It is the end of it all. It is the last, the last Evangelion, finally. I'll believe that when I see it. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it, it does end on a very much, like, it ends very much on a, like, this is the end note. Like, it is pretty okay. final in how it ends. Uh, who? Know, but again, it's anime, so I feel like there's anything you can do to, like, make it happen again. But it's, the, the vibe I've gotten is that, like, this is no longer something he's interested in doing. It's been plaguing him mm. for almost 30 years. He's tired of it. He wants to work on other <laughs> projects. He's depressed as fuck. He is ready to move on. So this is the last one and it was it was really really fucking good. It was beautifully animated. It made barely any sense, which is an Evangelion stable. <laughs> um I think the ending it's a weird ending. It's going to it's going to be polarizing, but I think it's a good ending for what this for what it is and I think it answered some questions, which was shocking to me that it actually gave some answers for things and like gave some explanation and some context to what's been going on for like fucking forever. And I really, I really enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm glad that it's over for him and for everyone, (laughs) but it, it's streaming on Amazon prime. It's an incredible end to the series. I think it's gorgeous. I think it's wild. I think it's got all the things you love about Evangelion and offers a little bit of a lot more context into the emotional states of the characters which sounds crazy because it's all about their emotions but i think it dives a little much deeper into trauma rather than just like the immediate like being sad and like 
in this catatonic state, but really like reflecting on the consequences of your actions and what that means and what that looks like. And I I really enjoyed that part of the film because they extend that not just to the main characters, but to some of the bad guys as well. And not to make them empathetic, but just to give them a little bit more context and understanding about who they Mm -hmm. are. So yeah, I I dug it. I was really happy with it. It's two and a half hours long, so buckle in. Uh, you watch it but it doesn't feel long it's got it's like it really just like knocks it just kind of just goes through the whole thing very quickly but um yeah that's uh evangelion 3.3.0 plus 1.0 thrice upon a time (laughs) thrice upon a time Uh the other ones have parentheses in them and everything it's wild like it's just it's it's just a, it's such a cultural like touchstone. Like everyone knows that Evangelion. If you know any, if you like are even like vaguely aware of anime, I feel like Evangelion's the, like the one you know about. I mean, it's it's the it's one that I've seen. You know, I'm yeah, I'm not as exactly. well versed on it, but I have seen Evangelion. I have not. I don't believe I saw when he reworked the endings again. The first time he reworked the endings maybe he made movies about it i don't think yeah, i he saw made those movie. but yeah he the movies were like the uh, the reworks and all that stuff i saw um, the og series okay yeah so i mean it's a, it's everyone know like, everyone knows what it is and so it's mm-hmm. wild and it's it's huge in japan like this is a it's a big deal on twitter i feel like but in japan this is like a huge moment in the country i think because of how important evangelion is so it's fascinating to see like how some of like some people here are like holy shit it's so exciting but in Japan it's like a much bigger deal. But yeah, it's 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 not just a money grab actually. You're good. That's good. Yeah. Um. So <laughs> tell me about this this noir '90s thriller because you wrote something very fascinating <laughs> in the show notes before we started, and I just have to hear more. Okay, so. Uh, this came out um, last Friday, and I've been wanting, I've been dying to see it. And it is uh, a series that's on Netflix, created by Nick Antosca and Lenore Zion, okay. the two people they worked on um, Channel Zero together, and they have created this noir-ish thing set in the '90s that is based on a novel, and it's called Brand New Cherry Flavor. <gasps> Oh, my God, Mary Beth. I sat there. I started on a Friday and I finished it on a Saturday. I just I couldn't stop watching this mess of a bizarre ass series. It's eight episodes long. The episodes vary in length. So which is what I like about one of the things I like about it is that it doesn't feel like each episode has to hit a certain like length. And so some of the episodes are like 30 something minutes. Some of them are close to 50. So it's Mm. but it is. It is a wild story about this woman named Lisa Nova. She's an aspiring film director, and she had gone to some, um, like, kind of cabin in the woods-esque thing and shot a short film. And somehow the tape winds up on the desk of some, like, washed-up producer named Lou who um, finds it, falls in love with it, wants to meet with her says, hey, we're going to make your movie, has her sign a contract. She says, I will do this if I can direct it. He's like, yeah, 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 great. And then he decides to screw her on it and not have her be the director in favor of a mediocre man to direct the movie. wonder what that experience is like. (laughs) She's not happy about this. And 
at one of these uh, Hollywood parties, she meets this uh, bizarre woman named Boro, who is played very to good camp, name. camp perfection by Catherine Keener. <gasps> yes, Catherine Keener. <laughs> she like shows up in a white fur coat, holding a kitty and looking like camp classic as she is in this gallery that uh, full of Hollywood elites. And she is just this wild cat looking lady, like a cat lady from like the Simpsons. And she is mixing like this kind of really cool style, but also just like, she looks like she could be batshit insane. And she's like, she hears her, she hears Lisa talking about this, this, this director or this producer that kind of screwed her over. And she's like, for you, I could hurt someone. Will you hold my cat? And she hands her cat and she decides that she's going to help uh, Lisa with a curse on this producer. Okay. Everything has a price. And since Lisa has no money, she decides that uh, she wants something else from her. And at this moment, um, Lisa vomits up a baby kitten um, and <laughs> Boro takes it. And then she continues to vomit up these baby kittens over the course of the series until she tells Boro at one point that, you know, she's tired of vomiting up these cats. And then all of a sudden this wound appears on her side that um, turns into kind of, I guess, a vagina of sorts that starts birthing cats. And at one point her... um lover starts fingering it and then starts fisting this little hole in the side of her belly where this cat had been birthed out of uh-huh okay i would like to watch this it's very fucking weird at one point she needs to get the pubic hair of lou for this curse and um where she's like trying to hide in the house and runs into the sun and he's like what what are you doing here and she's like well i'm not actually fucking your dad i'm putting a curse on him and i need some of his pubic hairs and he's like okay cool that's the side of his bed it's just it's it's such a wild, wild exploration of revenge and set to like 90s neon excess. And I just I, I don't I don't know what to say about it other than like I could not stop watching it. And it is wild as fuck. I would like to watch this immediately. <laughs> wow. Also, Rosa Salazar, I think her name is. She yeah. she was Alita, Battle Angel. Alita. Mm -hmm. She was the titular Battle Angel. <laughs> and she is really good in this. Um, she's she's that the whole cast is fantastic in this. And I just it feels like it feels like it should be a continuation of Channel Zero. Like it feels like it could be in that whole realm. And it's based on a novel, and I really want to read the novel now. Yeah, a novel from the '90s called "Brand New Cherry Flavor." That I really like I'd the never... name "Brand New it, Cherry Flavor." It's it's, just... it's wild. <laughs> okay, I'm very excited. I've heard, I've seen, I've seen things on Twitter, but not as many people talking about it. But you telling me all this, I'm like, mm -hmm. yes, I would like. I was, I was sold the moment she's vomiting up a cat. I'm like, what is even happening here? <laughs> oh, Kath Okay, I'm looking at pictures of Catherine Kenner with like barely any eyebrows, holding a cat with like massive hair and a giant jacket and it's absolutely oh, incredible it's stunning and i just this the, the entire movie has such a fantastic production design to it and it has this this sense of lunacy that i just it's just so good it's so Please. good and i want you to i need you to see it okay fine <laughs> uh so back to you what is this i mean i think i already know but what is this bullshit 
Look, I know we try to be positive on this podcast and talk about things we like, but I have to bring up Don't Breathe too because I saw hmm. it and I'm very fucking angry about it. So, you know, Don't Breathe, incredible movie. I watched it for the first time last week. I was fucking freaking out the whole time. Oh, it was time. the first time you watched it? Yeah. Wow. I loved it. Jane, it's so Jane, good. Jane Levy is an incredible human being and an incredible mm-hmm. performer. Like, we all know this. It's so good. It's so fucked up. It's so tense. It's like a masterclass in creating tension. There didn't need to be a fucking sequel. Like, in no, no. way, shape, or form did there need to be a sequel. It was perfect the way it was. But, of course, there's a sequel. And that sequel, Don't Breathe too. Uh, we all saw the trailers and we're very concerned about having uh, Norm, played by Stephen Lang, or Norman, who is the the blind rapist and murderer from the first movie, is the hero. Well, you know, they were – director and Fetty Alvarez were like, mm, it's not going to be that bad. No, it's it's bad. It's as bad as you think it is, y'all. I just have to say that, that it is an irresponsible piece of filmmaking that there's no, – it didn't need to be called Don't Breathe too. You could have just called it – like someone said this, like – blind guy fights fights drug dealers and it, it would have been fine because you don't there's no there's no callback to the first movie whatsoever so there's mm. no like kind of addressing his past transgressions aka impregnating women with a turkey baster full of his own <laughs> cum that he says isn't rape because he didn't fuck them with his penis i hate that shit so much and in the in the first movie like oh he's fucking nasty like i get it like i mm-hmm. like this because he's fucking gross that you're supposed to think of him as empathetic in this movie Mm-mm. and he he is he there is a moment of forgiveness given to him and it's Mm-mm. repulsive and i don't i think it is an in, entirely irresponsible i think it's well made i think the performances are great i think there's some really good tense moments there's some fucked up violent moments that are great but it's all eclipsed by the fact that they just like don't want to they're like oh you've seen the first movie so you know he's a bad guy but they don't they there's a moment where they have him not shoot a dog and that's a, a moment where you're supposed to be like empathizing they spend a long time on watching him agonize over whether he should shoot this dog who's going to attack him but he doesn't and he he puts he like uncocks the gun and just makes the decision not to shoot the dog and like that's this huge moment of like look at him he's a good guy i'm like what why is what is okay look i worked at animal welfare what is it with fucking people and wanting to show that the person is a nice person because they didn't kill a dog you know what i mean like we people white people really care more about the dog than humans yeah controversial take my friends but i am right there with you like i just i i don't like animal death at all in movies whatsoever i fucking hate it but when you're using that as like oh look he's a good guy fuck you like fuck mm-hmm. you. That's man- that's such a manipulative tactic because like everyone knows like the ho- everyone in horror is like oh don't kill the dog and so he didn't kill the dog so that's like Jesus level the like oh look myth. at him yeah. exactly and it's like it's just so fucking irresponsible. That's as manipulative as when the people kill the dog to like make you hate someone. That, like that exa- is just exactly. as manipulative. But ex- it's the opposite side of the coin exactly and then like he befriends the dog and it's like Oof. this whole thing and it's just like it, and the movie goes to some fucking weird places that i'm like what in the hell is happening i'm like again this would have been a very interesting movie if it was not a don't if it was not put i didn't have don't breathe on it but they've really just ugh. i saw someone i think it was on twitter or something say that the biggest problem with Don't Breathe 2 is that it's a sequel to Don't Breathe. Yep. That like if it had just been on its own, 
this would have been a decent movie, but it doesn't, like you said, doesn't reckon with, I mean, I haven't seen it, but yeah. as you said, doesn't reckon with his horribleness from the first no, movie. And like, you can't call this a sequel if you don't reckon with that. Like you ended the, no. No, you, the, the climactic scene is him trying to shove a turkey baster full of his, like a slow motion scene of that to Jane Levy. And the, you see the woman chained up in his basement and like, Look, he wants a kid, and he gets the kid. Like in this movie, he has a kid. Like he has a mm-hmm. kid, and will, I won't like go into spoilers, but like he kind of gets what he wants in a way, not exactly the same way, but like he. Yeah. And it's just, it's really irresponsible horror filmmaking. I I'm just gonna say it. Yeah. It's irresponsible, and that's the bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I have not heard anyone really talk about. How- how this was a good idea so because <laughs> it was a terrible I, fucking idea i think i i'm okay with not watching this one yeah because the first one is so good oh it's so good and does exploitation right it does exploitation right and that's what's exactly like it's an exploitative gross grody ugh, but like in a fun way like in a mm-hmm. oh fuck like i loved watching that even though i felt gross i love mm-hmm. that shit but on a positive note, let's talk about these fucking punk rock witch demon bitches in a good way. I mean that from uh, it's a movie from Fantasia called mm-hmm. Hellbender by the Adams family with one D, not two, not to be confused. Who um, directed? Well, wrote, directed, and starred in uh, the Deeper You Dig. Which is um, currently on Shutter, and I did not care for. Um. <laughs> I love that shit. So John, it's John. Ad- John Adams and Toby Poser are married. Their daughter and their daughter Zelda Adams is. They're a creative team where they do everything. They do the music, everything. cinematography. They're incredible. But so this is their follow up to the Deeper You Dig, which I really loved. Terry did not. Yeah, I did but, not like it. <laughs> But Hellbender. we both really liked Hellbender. I was surprised at how much I liked Hellbender. It is such a good follow-up because it's so much... It's got more focus, I feel like. It's got much more focus in its story. It's They got more of a budget. And some of the effects are like a little... A little cheese. A little okay. cheese with the effects that they... Because they had more... They definitely had more money for this one. Like, it's very apparent that they had more money, which is great. I'm very glad they had more money because they did some cool shit with it. But they, there's still a little... The thing that I, I still do not care for in this film is the uh, their love of filters, shall we say? And their love of, like, overexposing things and changing the color on things and setting these kind of, I guess you're supposed to be like surreal interludes that just yeah. to me feel amateurish. And it's, it's those moments that take me out of the movie and make me realize that I'm watching a movie, not enjoying a story. And so those parts are a little bit lessened in this than they were in the deeper you dig. And that was part of the reason I didn't care for the deeper you dig. Um, I think the story is much more focused. I think it's much better. It's about, it's, it's, about this teen that's being kept on her like mountain home with her mom. And she's told that she can't leave cause she's really sick. And then she starts to discover that she might have touches to like, or connections to demons slash witches. And she and her mom play in a hard rock band together. And it's, it's delightful. 
Um, <sighs> when it's focusing on that aspect of it and not trying to golly gee whiz you with some of the uh, more esoteric filters and camera choices, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think that I think they really try a lot like visually and I think they want to have like this really the 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 kind of like these sequences that are a little bit more abstract are not the strongest parts. I think there's some interesting stuff there, but I think mm-hmm. the best parts are when it's Toby, poser who plays the mom, Zelda Adams who plays the daughter and like the scenes between them mm-hmm. and their connection and this connection between mother and daughter, witch, demon creatures and like how they learn from one another. And it's a really, it's this real, it's like a coming of age story, but like with witches and blood. And it's just like hallucinogenic maggots. Hallucinogenic maggots. Oh, that's incredible. And it's just so, I just had such a good time watching it. Me too. And like the music is all done by them, which is really cool. And Zelda Adams seems like a really cool kid and I want to hang out with her. Um, Mm -hmm. And they just play. Like there's like music. It's almost like music video interludes. Yeah, <laughs> with them like in makeup and <laughs> Zelda's kind of silly. It's so they're silly. Like, <laughs> like just the two of them. They're not filming this. Like you know, it's not like they're filming a music video. That they're all like dressed up in like it's just, costumes exactly. as if they are. And I, and I, I love, love it. it. It's I love silly. it. It's like this really sweet connection between mother and daughter and like the in those moments too is where a conflict is introduced a lot of the time Mm -hmm. too because like this is their time to like oh they wrote these songs together they're performing in this band called hellbender and the two of them perform just for themselves but then like that kind of becomes a little bit part of conflict of Mm -hmm. zelda's character wanting to like leave the mountain and like meet people and things like that so yeah, it was just good. a delight. It's just they're I really I think they're a really talented trio of filmmakers, and it's really cool to see them continue to make really badass stuff. Um, and I hoped that they keep getting to make badass stuff. Well, and this one was picked up already by Shutter. Like I think I think even before it premiered, or maybe like yeah. right as yeah, it premiered, I think it was like right before it premiered. They they picked it up, and I'm glad they did. Um, yeah, so that'll be coming to Shutter in 2022. I think that one will have even more not mainstream appeal, but I think it'll appeal to people even more than the deeper you dig, which was like a kind of yeah. a more contemplative ghost story. And this one is a is like a little bit more like focused, a little bit more like. The story is really fleshed out. There's a lot of lore there. What that's really mm-hmm. cool, and they do a good job between balancing like exposition dumping and giving you some like cool, like just seeing some cool shit. So okay, so let's take it from the mountains of the Catskills to the sewers of Chicago. What Chicago. aquatic horror did we watch this week, Mary Beth? We watched the 1980 film Alligator. Hell yeah, we did. First time watch for both of us. Yes. What did you think? I a lot of cop, a lot of cop commentary, mm. which I wasn't expecting. And I think what I like about this movie is that it's not a it's aquatic horror, but not totally aquatic horror. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love. I don't know. What about you? What did you think? I thought this movie was fantastic. I uh, I think the screenplay by John Sayles, um, who has written a number of really great screenplays um he 
I, the one thing that I remember him specifically from, and I think I mentioned this last episode, is Lone Star, which was this yes. movie that came out in the 90s that he directed. Yeah. And it, like, I believe it was nominated for an Oscar. And it was, like, it's considered one of the best independent horror – I'm not horror. One of the best independent films from, like, the 90s and kind of elevated the idea of, like, independent uh, filmmaking to the mainstream um, but he also, I mean, John Sales has also written, he wrote the the screenplay for uh, Piranha. He wrote the screenplay for The Howling. Um, so he has like... What a guy. He has like a, a basis in that sort of B-horror film. And I think this movie takes those ideas of, of, of B-horror, but also kind of adds in some of the, the social and political commentary that he later will do in the movie Lone Star in the 90s. I think that uh, I loved... I loved I loved everything about this movie. I'll be perfectly honest. I I I also wasn't expecting the like the Chicago cultural context of like the riots that were going on in like the late I think it was I can't remember the year, but like they really do set this to a very interesting backdrop. Mm-hmm. Um which I was not expecting. Like, you know, an alligator, an alligator aquatic horror. I'm like, oh, you're not going to talk about the riots in Chicago and like issues with police brutality and corruption in Chicago and it's like, oh, just kidding. You are, which is cool as fuck for a movie about an alligator in a sewer. So the whole premise is a little girl buys an alligator, a little baby alligator, and her dad is an asshole and flushes the alligator down the toilet. And the alligator, um, what is it? Hold on. Let me just pull making sure I'm right. Oh, the alligator is feeding on pet carcasses that are being like tested, being tested on. And it starts growing very big. And it grows to like, what, 30, 36 feet mm-hmm. long and it's hiding in the sewer. And it's hiding in the sewer. And hiding in the sewer. And it's attacking people. But then, of course, we have a cop played by the incredible Rob Forrester. Robert Forrester. And incredibly attractive. I He was, like, doing it for me in this. And I love I love that one of the character beats that he introduced to this is the fact that he was balding. And instead of, like, trying to hide into it, he, just, he told uh, the director, Louis Teague, that he wanted to, like, kind of lean into the kind of comedy of it and make it sort of like he was annoyed that he was getting bald. And so they shot to each of these scenes twice, one without him like mentioning the fact that he's balding and one with, and they ended up going with the balding stuff. And so he kind of leaned into that to make it kind of part of his character as opposed to trying to hide it. And I just think that's a fantastic little I moment. I love that. That's incredible. And I love that it sort of has like a, a commentary on sort of like the masculinity, especially in like the police force. Like he's, yeah. his partners keep dying. <laughs> his partner dies in here hilariously. For, I thought it was really funny, um, even though it's like a dramatic beat moment. But it's it's like he's he's tortured by his past. He's tortured. He's like made fun of because he's like there's literally an alligator in the sewer and none of his boneheaded men friends want to believe him. He has the, the, the chief is played by Michael Gazzo and is just like the kind of chief you would expect to see in this kind of movie, the sort of over the top, like, Oh, you're, you're, you're digging into things you shouldn't. I told you not to do that. I'm going to have to fire you. (laughs) You're off the force. And I just, I just love the way it remixes all of these kind of plot points and things that we expect to see in a police procedural with this campy, almost campy alligator in a sewer idea. Yeah. Cause I feel like, so like it hits a lot of those beats you would expect. Like, you know, like you said, it hits those beats and it's funny cause in Roger Ebert's review of this movie, he's like, it's the same goddamn thing. It hits all the beats. There's a cop who, who sees something <laughs> and a mayor up for reelection and everyone's an asshole and only he knows the truth. And it's like the same thing over and over again. But I agree. Like it is, it's still, it's, it's different though. It's, it's like, 
the expectations, but subverts it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And especially for 1980, like that's always so incredible. Like when you see a film do something like that in 1980, and it's a fucking giant alligator. <laughs> 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 like, and you know what's okay? Alligators are terrifying. I and this alligator gets humongous because mm. it's eating those growth hormones. But alligators don't stop growing while they're alive. They never stop growing. So is like, that true? Yeah, they never stop growing. Oh, so wow. there are, are I hope I'm not if so, someone who knows more about animals I guess can call me out if I'm wrong but like there are alligators and crocodiles in places around the world where, that are fucking humongous cuz they don't they're not de- they don't die they've been around for so long so they're humongous mm. because they never stop growing. So like technically it's possible not that I think that a an alligator could te- live that long in a sewer I think at one point they say like oh it should it has to be it, an alligator that big can't be alive it needs to be eating way more than that and it's like Ha ha ha. But <laughs> I think it's a very clever kind of look at that fear of the alligators in the sewers and people flushing yeah. animals down. That takes that urban legend. It's such a cool way to take that to talk about that urban legend. Like it's incredible. I also just really love the dialogue, particularly between um David, the main character, and his uh soon to be paramour, uh Marissa, the doctor, where like he she shows up at his house and he's he he's like talking about how, you know, she's not what, what he expected her to be. And she's like, when I met you, I thought you were the kind of person whose apartment looked like just, just like this. And it's like his, his apartment is full of like, there's like erotica on the walls and there's a bunch <laughs> of like half naked ladies uh, paintings on the walls. And she's like, yeah, this is exactly what I expected it to look like. It's just, the, the, I think the script is smart. I think the dialogue is really sharp. I love I, I love that once they realize that there might be an alligator or they think that there is an alligator in the sewer, it turns into Chicago into a fucking war zone where like they have like bazooka people with bazookas coming out here and they have like all this this it's just the the things that it is tackling in here is smarter than a movie called Alligator about a sewer alligator has any right to be. Yep. So I disagree <laughs> with you, Roger Ebert, even though I I, I let, loved your career. Let me let me just hold on. Let me pull up. Let me pull up the last line of his review because it's inc- it's absolutely incredible. Yes, it is. It's a New York cop, and I was very confused. I thought I was like, it's definitely Chicago. <laughs> it's Chicago. Okay. I'm going to read the last paragraph. And he says New Yorkers again. So obviously I didn't pay attention. The alligator, on the other hand, is smart enough to travel all over the city without being seen. In one shot, he's in a suburban swimming pool. And seconds later, he's midtown. You would not think it would be that easy for a 40-foot alligator to sneak around incognito. But then New Yorkers are are awfully blasé. Meanwhile, I suggest a plan. Why not try flushing this movie down the toilet to see if it grows into something big and fearsome? I mean, you know, he has a way with words, and that's the thing that I've always enjoyed about Roger Ebert. Um, I don't think he's correct at this point, but <laughs> I just like <laughs> I think he's lo- missing the fun. Exactly. Well, yeah, I was going to say it sounds like he is definitely missing the fun of the movie called alligator like come on you can't fucking expect something that serious out of a movie called alligator uh my favorite line though is when because originally they think that there's a there's like a serial killer murdering people and tossing their body parts in the sewer and one of the coroners talks about you know how he found a toe and had a funeral and david like pauses for a moment stares at him and goes must have been a really small casket (laughs) and i was like oh i just love the dialogue in this film I just love it. (laughs) (laughs) In all seriousness, he just like, yeah, must have been a really small casket. I just, 
it killed me. It just killed me. Also, the opening is incredible. Yeah. The opening is incredible. Like, the guy gets attacked by the alligator, and, and they're like, oh, look, it's fa- it's fake. And, he, and the girl's like, no, mom, that's real. And then they're all like, oh, we're going to buy alligators now and, like, bring them home as pets. <laughs> right. We just saw one maul a human being. <laughs> An incredible opening sequence. Incredible. Uh, that's great. Yeah, it's alligator. It's on YouTube. So if you want to watch alligator, it it's all the full thing is on YouTube. And like you said, this I think you said this before. It's good quality. It's, it's a, a high quality. quality. Like on YouTube for what it is, like mm-hmm. that is very good. And it's unfortunately not really available in the United States. Yeah. So go if you haven't seen it, go watch it um, before someone takes it down off of yeah, YouTube. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Uh, so what are we watching for next little cuts, Mary Beth? <laughs> I'm so excited, merely because of the fucking plot synopsis. We're watching the humanoids from the deep. Yeah, we the, are. From ni- also from 1980. Uh, woman directed, but yes, that the synopsis is just, it just goes there. Yep. Mutated sea creatures, uh, killing men and raping women is pretty much exactly the plot synopsis. Literally. I'm so excited. So- <laughs> And I, I'm excited because it's a, it's directed by a woman, so it sounds like an exploitation type like creature feature, but directed by a woman, so I'm very interested to see that because there is not a lot of that. So I'm just curious to see like what what that looks like and if it, I mean, you know, how she handles that kind of subject matter. I'm yeah. stoked. I'm excited to see this. I've not seen this one either, so um, I'm pumped. What are we ta- who are we talking to on Monday? Uh, oh my gosh, Mary Beth, this made my queer heart so happy. Um. We are talking to director Carter Smith, who has done The Ruins. He did uh, Midnight Kiss episode, the queer Midnight Kiss episode of Into the Dark. He uh, is a photographer. He has a new queer horror movie that he's working on, and we talk about that. So if you're curious about his what he's coming up next with, with him, we talk about that as well. But we are also talking about David Cronenberg's The... My gosh. David Cronenberg, I can talk, really. The Brood. Like, double whammy of both an incredible person and an incredible film. Like, the best, one of the best Cronenberg movies. Don't come at me. It's an incredible movie. It is incredible. And he is such a kind guest. He is so kind and smart. And it was a joy to get to talk to him about a movie that I have wanted to talk about for a long time. And a movie that you wouldn't necessarily expect to call Monsgard for life. It's like a little bit more of like a headier Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. But the story as to how he got introduced to it is incredible, including oh, so a ballet good. class and an unmarked VHS tape. So um, buckle in for that one, everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so listeners, you've heard from us, but we want to hear from you. Uh, did you watch one of the movies movies that we've talked about this week? Do you have suggestions for our next aquatic horror movie? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please, if you can, give us a rating and a review, which would be fantastic. Help me celebrate my new job by giving us a review on my podcast. Oh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, but so thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>